everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Lee O'Brien. Hi, Steph. Um, so today we are talking about a book that both Lee and I know very well since we've both taught it numerous times and that's Mary Elizabeth Braddon's 1862 novel, Lady Audley's Secret. So Lee, you teach this novel every year. Yes as part of your gothic unit. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could start this conversation by talking a bit about where Lady Audley's Secret fits in within gothic and also the idea of the sensation novel. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. Yes. <laughs> no pressure, eh? No pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, part of the joys and problems of teaching gothic is that it covers a huge mm. historical period. So we start with the Castle of Otranto, 1764, um, internally, I end with Outlander, which is 2014, the television series, the OUA, we, we stop with Psycho, which is 1960. But, you know, that that's a huge range. So what happens with Gothic and what's fundamental to Gothic literature is once we get Gothic, it's a constantly morphing thing. Mm. And you know this a lot because you're fascinated by female Gothic. So mm -hmm. immediately we got that that change well if if men are writing this in gothic so the women start writing it and it changes so the mode changes constantly it's a very socially responsive um politically responsive mode and it's pop culture this is what i love about it because it doesn't stay it's not high-end philosophical discourse it's it's not super serious realist fiction this is st stuff that lots and lots of people loved reading because it's lurid mm. and, and it's related to melodrama it's also related to detective fiction mm -hmm. so that's how it fits it primarily it fits in gothic because it's sensation fiction sensation fiction came into being um, changes in divorce laws um, lot, different ways of reporting divorce. So there was lots of stuff out there in the ether in the mid in the 1860s about changing modes of marriage, what marriage was, therefore what men and women were, how they how they kind of functioned in all that. And the newspaper, there was this explosion of newspapers. So people got used to reading about all this quite lurid stuff in the mm. newspapers. And novel, and they wanted to read it literary forms of it too. So novelists had a kind of ready-made market to get into the real, you know, hardcore, strange, weird stuff. And that's where sensation fiction comes in. It's related to melodrama mm. because all this kind of um, really hyper stuff, um, hyper stere gender stereotypes, class stereotypes, that inhabits the stage, the melodrama on stage, which I've just been reading about it recently, which was hugely popular. It's basically mm. what television was in, in the 20th century for, for it's families. It's so popular too, yeah. Yes, yeah. it was just super popular. So sensation fiction is in some ways a prose fiction version of theatrical melodrama it uses a lot of the stereotypes you know time to the railroad tracks and the yeah. damsel in distress all that kind of stuff and best of all the vixen figure the, yes. the rogue woman which we definitely have in Lady Audley's Secret which we definitely do have in Lady Audley's Secret there is a connection here though with detective fiction which is a later kind of morphing of the gothic because the main male character, Robert Audley, thinks his best friend, um, George, has been murdered and he thinks Lady Audley's done the deed. He's wrong, mm. but um, so it, you've got this crime, he becomes the unofficial detective. Yeah. So, and his quarry is a woman. He's, 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 it's a kind of very, I think, a very predatory understanding of what the detective is. So that kind of, in a rather large nutshell, yeah. is why Lady Audley's Secret is on, it's on my external gothic. I had to take it off internal gothic because I wanted to put Outlander on and I, yeah. had, I wanted to change a couple of texts. But thank goodness I can still teach it because mm. it, it's a very popular text. Mm. It's worked really well on OUA. Just some fascinating discussions um, about sexuality and narrative and all that kind of thing. So... That's what the, the most 
Braddon was incredibly popular. People loved reading her, so so she made a lot of money out of her writing. The other main sensation writer is Wilkie Collins, mm. and a lot of people listening will know The Moonstone, The Woman in White there, and it's all in the 1860s. Um, mm. It tends to ease off a bit after that, but what happens is when you go back and look at realist texts, realist novels, George Eliot's novels, for example, you realise that melodrama, gothic elements, mm. sensation, it's all there. Mm. So to the extent that it stops being a recognisable literary sort of limited phenomenon, it's only because it leeches out into a lot of other modes, just as gothic does. Mm. So it's a wonderful way of talking about intertextuality, metafiction, um, all these kind of theoretical things as they respond to political realities and changing laws the changing laws in the married women's for married women's property as well as divorce they were the two really huge changes in women's status now you and i know that that ends up with because we're working on it with mm. new woman fiction in the 1890s and so sensation fiction is a is some in some ways it's a precursor to the extent of new woman fiction to the extent that it's dealing with the rogue woman yeah but the problem for the rogue woman is that yeah. the only way she can really operate is through marriage Yes, yes, mm. and the only way she can solve her problems is through murder. I mean, yes. you have to feel sympathy. <laughs> I do feel sympathy for Lady Audley. No, yes, no, that's me. I mean, I've been gabbling on. Now, you, 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 um, okay. it. what do you like about it? I, I love Lady Audley. Mm. I think she's a fascinating character. The way she's um, represented is, is this kind of beautiful, dangerous woman um, is... Is interesting, but what lies underneath that, you know, presentation of her as a vixen, is that she's a woman whose husband's nicked off. Oh yes. Um, she's yes. a woman who's essentially been abandoned by her husband with a child and has really no way of operating well, in the world. He left a note, Stephanie. He left a don't, note. Don't, oh, how generous don't. of him! Must be that that Sex and the City episode where where um, one of Carrie's boyfriends leaves a, a breakup note on a post-it, and she's very offended. It's about the like same it's level. just about that level. Like, oh hi, um, I'm leaving you. I'll be back in like five years. Yeah. It'll be fine. You um, just wait for me. You dear. just wait with no money and no way of living, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, I'll have my fun. So she's a woman by herself. She's a, a woman who's been essentially abandoned, although. Like he doesn't abandon her for good, but he has abandoned her for years. Oh, yeah. And she has, yeah, yeah, and she has no kind of way of getting on in the world. And so she does what she has to do. And what she has to do in that time is marry. And so she reinvents herself, takes on a new identity, and marries and marries well. Um, and now, of course, that unravels for her um, in various ways. But you can't blame her. No, I, I agree. And it's one of the reasons I love the novel, because it does, it, it actually brings different modes of reading, different cultural contextualizations of reading. Because I think a modern reader mm. finds it really hard to read that and think, as you've just said, they marry, but the money runs out. George is, is, a, is a gorgeous, you know, handsome dragoon. And um, Lucy Graham's drunken father has sort of been parading Lucy in front of all these males and trying to flog her off to the to the mm. highest bidder. She's very young, and you pick up really one of the most important things about her is that the way she looks. She's this ethereally beautiful with the cascading blonde curls. Near a blonde yeah, curls. She's, yeah, she's a, she is just the the femme fatale. She's just very beautiful and very alluring. So the father has sort of basically auctioned her off. She's married, but she loves George. Yeah. And they have a child. And then he decides, well, you know, we're running out of money, so the best thing I can do is go to the colony. So he actually comes to Australia. Yeah. Know, the dumping ground of... All, all wastrels, yes. Idiots, yes. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and I... See, I have your response. I, I read this and I think, what? Yeah. Leave in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, with a note on the pillow, yeah. you know, and just leave your wife, your very, very young wife, with a very, very young child with her drunken father. Yeah, with no means of with acquiring no money. money. He, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't know how, how or what they're going to do. Now, 
I think, and lots of 19th century readers would probably have been a bit annoyed about that, but however, if you're talking about the laws of marriage, when the woman marries, she becomes the husband's property. Yeah. Mm. And he can really do what he wants to do he is the man he is the head of the household he is when they when they when they marry the two people become one in the eyes of the law the woman mm -hmm. has the legal status of criminals idiots and minors mm -hmm. so basically I, I think some conservative readers would have read well of course he goes off he wants to make money making money is, is important what, what what's her problem and so I find in teaching it, it's an interesting way to sort of bring this clash between mod modern understandings of what marriage might be and the freedom women would have within it with Victorian yeah. understandings of it. Although I think it's still possible for a Victorian reader to have that reaction because I think that women are more likely to have that reaction. Than men. Than yes, men. that's true. Yeah. And I don't know enough about the reception of it. Um, to know if there was a gender difference. Because we, we know Eliza Lynn Linton. Uh, mm. you know, she starts off being very feministical and then becomes super conservative and mm. absolutely loathes women like Lucy Gray. So it's really mm. hard to generalise. But yes. I think just the fact that Braddon can use that plot mechanism and still retain George as a sympathetic character because I think he's supposed to be seen as yes. a sympathetic character in the novel. I think that's where the clash is because he mm. drives me up the wall. And and when and, and sorry, people, there's going to be spoilers all over the place here. But it but, was but, written in 1862. Yes, so, yes, yeah. yeah. Look, you need to you've get You've had up plenty this, of time. You, you've had yeah. plenty of time, yeah. people. And she pushes him down the well because, <laughs> because she's married brilliantly to Sir Robert Audley and he, um, George comes back in the middle of all this, uh, just as Lucy has gone from being an impoverished governess to being the wife of Sir Robert Audley, George comes back. Yeah. And George is just thrilled to be home. And, what a and, sense of and, timing. And, and he's looking for his little wife. We left three years ago. And oddly enough, you know, his wife's not all... All that pleased to see him, so no. they have a bit of a fight, and she pushes him down a well. Now, I think that's perfectly understandable. Well, look, he is a bit of a he's a bit of a pain. Um, she's she's sitting on a pretty good wicket, so <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that like George, I think is supposed to be sympathetic. Yeah, but I think that Mary Elizabeth Braddon was very aware mm. of mm. of that the reading that we have, where we we find him annoying and we mm. find. Lucy Audley's um, actions is quite understandable, even though they're wrong on the face of it, because she does enter yeah. into a bigamous marriage and yeah. so the adulteress. She's an adulteress yeah. and all that sort of yeah. palaver. Um, more, more, as you say, big more one step beyond adultery. But yeah, 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 exactly. So I still think that even though you know there is a there is an easy way of reading this very conservatively, I, I, I and Mary Elizabeth Brad knows what she's doing and I she, think and she, she does. does I'm not yeah. as overwhelmingly confident about it but I think she does mm. I think she it's funny I think she ends up I, I the portrait of Lucy is so complex and we need to go back to when she marries that yeah it, it's one of the it's a unique proposal scene I've never come across anything like it in yeah. Victorian fiction but that doesn't say anything I mean there were thousands of novels that I haven't read but but it, it I've not come across anything like it so we need to discuss that but I think in some ways Braddon is shocked at the character that she portrays because mm. Lucy Graham She's fascinating because she's utterly ruthless. She's this tiny little thing. You know, if, you, if you're going to start pushing your big brawny husband down a well, you've got a bit of a backbone. And also one of the most fascinating things about her um, temperament is that she's asexual. Did you mm. feel this? She, she, she's very aware of her effect on men. But that, she never seems to have anything. she doesn't yeah. actually have any response. Hmm. She wants to use them for her own ends. Now, I think Braddon is probably conservative enough to be a bit worried 
about that. I think she finds Lady... I think that Braddon, from my reading, is that she has the kind of reaction that a lot of readers have to Lady Yordley, which is they find her beguiling, but they're worried about that yes. response at the yes. same time. Yeah. Because she is beguiling, and she is yeah. fascinating, and she is almost impossible to take your attention from. But I think there's a real anxiety about that yeah. as well. The being, yeah. you know, like the the appeal of the femme fatale, I suppose, is a source of anxiety. Mm-hmm. What what did you um, what do you find interesting about the proposal scene? Well, <laughs> mm. I can. It, it's beautifully written. Yeah. And I'm never. It, it's never made absolutely clear that Lucy goes to this particular place and takes the job of the governess, I think it's in the doctor's family, Mm. and she sees Sir Michael Audley, and he's a really sweet man, a widower, and he falls in love with her because she's so beautiful. And and she, because she's a governess, she has all those accomplishments. You know, she plays beautifully and she paints and she does all these things. So she's everything that a woman should be on the marriage market and of course she attracts him and I think it's brilliantly done because she's genuinely shocked when he proposes to her and there's this there's these moments of pausing in in the narrative as it unfolds and I can never quite figure out if she's thinking right I've sprung my trap and I've got him or if Lucy herself is caught off guard and she never actually meant to engage in a bigamous marriage. She was happy to to sort of do what she could with her looks, but not actually quite go to the extent of, of mm. a bigamous marriage. So because she knows she doesn't know her husband's first husband's dead and I'm never it's 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 very complex in the novel so I'm never quite sure where she goes but the way that scene unfolds so Michael Audley actually asks when she's accepted the proposal he's so happy but he makes a fatal mistake he asks her does she love him Mm. and she answers honestly Mm. and she says no I I respect and I I I I I, I care for you and I'll, I'll be a wonderful wife, but that, what is there, a 25, 30-year mm. age difference? And she acknowledges that she can't feel what he would expect a wife to feel. And he's devastated by that, And but he accepts it and he walks out and he walks home after the proposal and the world has changed for him. It's gone from being this bright world to a a, a world of really rather devastating reality Mm. and I can't remember another scene I think you have to wait until new woman fiction Mm. to get such a very clear-eyed representation of of what a young woman actually feels when she's going into that kind of relationship marriage well well, scenes like that are what makes me think that Mary Elizabeth Braddon knew exactly what she was doing Doing. Um, Mm. I've my own interpretation has always been that she's a little bit blindsided by his proposal that she's not as calculating as as all that that she's a little bit kind of oh and then quickly realizes all right this is going to be useful this is going to be yeah I think that's a perfectly legit reading and she sort of she goes into this wild double take because she knows if I I, I've only got these moments to say yes or no what do I do I've got a husband already you know yeah I, I think there is a good reading of that yeah and I mean that that I think there yeah. is a very good reading on the other side as well, but that's how I've that's how you always taken her yeah. as having this moment of like, oh, okay, well, what should I do? Well, okay, this is going to actually be really good for me in a way, yeah. and I don't know. I've always liked the fact that she says, "No, I don't love you" to him, yeah. and then he, yeah. although he's affected by that. He still marries her. They both go into it with their eyes open. That, yeah. That's very, that's rare in mid-Victorian fiction. There's none of that veneer of like, no. oh, yes, I love no. you, all that bullshit. No. You know, yeah, there's, no. it's just, it's, it's, it's an arrangement. Deal. It's a mm. deal. Mm. She doesn't say, oh, I despise you. She mm. says, I respect yeah. you. You know, we can. I can't remember the exact words she uses, but she, it's, I don't know if she actually says she doesn't love him, but she says, I don't 
I can't give you what, what you... I, I think yeah. she says, I don't love you in the same way that you, you love, love me. me. Yeah, so they, uh, they it's, yeah. it's very clear-sighted, I yeah. think. It's not yeah. a sentimental... Because mm. I think a lot of people associate the Victorians... Well, I know a lot of people associate with Victorians with sentimentality and yeah. oh. romance and all of this, and it's not at all. It is very, okay, well, this is a situation that we're in. We'll make the best of it mm. in a very kind of pragmatic way, mm. which... Mm. I really like yeah. actually, and the the um, the romance plot relies on you believing in marriage, doesn't it? You, yeah, you, and we've got two marriages that are well. We've got the third with Robert Audley and 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 um, George's sister right at the end. But the two marriages that are central to this novel mm. are terrible marriages. Mm. That's typical of sensation fiction, fiction yeah. but it also becomes typical of um, realist Real fiction, fiction too. Yeah. But um, see, my reading of it is different. I think she's gone. I think she's set herself out to get him, to get mm. Sir Robert Audley. And she's flirted and she's done all these beautiful things and played this beautiful, unattainable young woman who doesn't really know, can't even predict that the, 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 Sir, my, you know, the mm. local baron would fall in love with her. But that's what she's angling for. Mm -hmm. And my reading of it is that when it happens, it the reality of what she's doing actually sinks in. Sinks yeah. in. I think that's it. That you absolutely can mm. read it like that. And she yeah. decides to go ahead with it. Mm. She it, she's a gambler because we love that gambler figure mm. coming from from um, from eighteenth century. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so she gambles. She thinks that's the way I've read it. Everything that she's all her stratagems have worked. And here it is. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about your your statement, which I absolutely agree with, that she's very asexual, that she sort of floats above this kind of um, sexual currency, I suppose, a sexual world. Yeah. Um, and I'm just reminded that, like, the, the thing with the femme fatale in, say, later 20th century fiction is that she's a woman of voracious sexuality. And here, yeah. sexuality is only ever a tool for her it is never something that she actually mm. feels so she's a she's an interesting manifestation of that femme fatale yeah. because she has this effect yeah. on all the men around her and all the men yeah. who see her yeah. but unlike the femme fatales of noir yeah. she has no mm. interest in it That's in it, it only what it can get her in this yeah. very pragmatic way that it can it can make her life more comfortable it can lead to safety it can lead to security but it's not something that she feels no. in any way attached to. She plays a game, but she's outside the game. Yeah. That's much more dangerous. Yeah. Because the, the, the there's, no, there's nothing stopping her. No. Yeah. And we know from the big sleep how easily that voracious sexuality can turn into this full-scale demonising of, of mm. the woman, of, of, of Carmen, in, in um, the big sleep. We were talking about that. and that hideous way that Chandler sort of turns her into this monster, uh, monster of... Um, sexual desire mm. you can't that's not what lucy graham lady audley is about she's really cool see i cool and calculating i think she relates back you, you know keats's poem la, la belle dame mm, Saint Saint Saint, and, yeah. and, and or what can ail the knight yeah. at arms alone and palely loitering and and he's fallen in love with this beautiful fairy type figure who just who, who doesn't care about him, but who can drain all his his yeah. life force and all the rest of it. And that's the fairy. I think she takes, she's described endlessly as a fairy-like figure. Mm. And I think that's Braddon invoking really clearly. It's that whole idea of the fae and, and the fairy, that when the fairy world interacts with the real world, with real people, then all hell breaks loose for the human beings. They can never win with these, the, the fairies and the goblins and all the rest of it. That that supernatural world has a power that drains and, and kills. Mm. That, that There's lots of wonderful ballads about changelings and, and mm. men taken into the fairy world and they see it and then they're dumped back into the real world and they die because yeah. they can't, they've seen something that they can never have. And that's, I think, brilliantly picked up on in that painting of her. Oh, gorgeous. Which is the so. most gorgeous yes. scene when they go in and look yes. at this at this pre-Raphaelite um, yeah. um, painting of her, which is beguiling mm. and beautiful and seductive and dangerous. 
and the painter has caught that there's something going on underneath yeah. the beauty. Yeah, the, the painter hasn't yeah. just made her a cipher, but has yeah. has has captured something yeah. of, of yeah. what's actually going on behind the scenes. It's the whole idea of fatal beauty, because mm. the fairies, are, um, the Tamlin ballads, all those ballads, the fairies are so, the fairy women are so dangerous because they're absolutely perfectly beautiful. Mm. But underneath that beauty is evil and mm. horror. Yeah, and but see, I think what's behind Lady Audley is almost nothing. No, well, no, I I think there's calculation. Well, I think there's yeah. calculation, but I don't think that there's there's calculation, but I don't think that there's um, evil or no, that no. there's um, no. that there's kind of like a sexual kind of danger. I think there's oh, no. I think behind it is just sheer pragmatic calculation. Pragmatism. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, uh, uh, I. I have I've got a certain body and a certain face that are, are of value. Yeah, and I'm going to exploit that. It's like uh, it's like Cleopatra and Antony and Cleopatra. Yeah. She knows yeah. what her power is, yes. and she's going to use it and exploit it. Yes. In this very kind of like, okay, well, I'm in this world where I have these limitations, so this is the power that I have. I'm going to use it mm. because it's going to get me money, security, etc. And why should I? Not? And why should I not? If it's yeah. the only way I can operate in yeah. the world, then yeah. that's going to be it. And see, I think modern readers see that, and I think to a certain degree, Victorian readers saw that because these vixen women were so—they were the reason that sensation fiction was so popular. Mm. People loved these women; they loved the villains, but they loved the the vixen women, the, the the bad girls. And this is where we start getting some really spectacular bad girls in mm. in, in sensation fiction. And I think people really were attracted to that. But also, you get it in a lot of reviews of Braddon and, and sensation fiction that this is actually scary stuff. Well, you see that in to just to shift focus a bit to Robert Audley, yeah. and the way that he takes on the task of hunting her, yes, as if she is prey, as yeah. if she is, or or not just prey, but something dangerous that needs to be taken out of the world. Oh yes, and it's all it's to do with lines of succession for him. Yes, as absolutely. well, which yeah. he, you know he wouldn't admit under torture. But it's all about property in Gothic, isn't it? Yeah, it's all endlessly. It's always follow the money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we know that. <laughs> we know that in so many different areas. But um, yes, he. It, it's never actually brought to the surface of the novel. I don't think. But if Lucy stays alive and married successfully to Sir Robert Audley and she has a child, a boy, mm. and she's young enough to, she's only in her very early 20s, then Robert Audley is kicked out of the succession because he's the nephew. So she is a real danger to him in mm -hmm. terms of his status and his property. And see, you get lots of readings where lots of modern readings where they're saying he's such a fascinating character because he doesn't actually understand his own motives. And people say he doesn't understand his own dynastic motives and he doesn't understand his sexual motives because there's a lot of queer readings of Robert Audley that he 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 sort of, when George, they've been at Eton together and when, when George <laughs> comes back into his life, he sort of, Really, he just adores George and wants mm. to have George with him. And then when George disappears, he cannot rest until he finds out what has happened to George. So people go to town on that. And then marries someone who looks just like and George. And then marries George's sister, who is a dead ringer for George. Wow, wonder what's going yeah. on there. And yep. we end with a uh, menage a trois. Yeah. A little beautiful replication of orderly court with George and Clara, and sorry, um, Robert and Clara married and George living with them. Mm. And Lady Audley has been um, committed to an insane asylum in France where she dies. And so we have the dead vixen and the three of them dancing their dance of victory and, mm. and she finally doesn't and he kills her he, he's, it, it, it reminds me of fox hunting and all that kind of stuff she is his prey and Braddon's clever with Robert Audley. She does put in a lot of psychological... He questions his motives a lot. Mm. Not enough for mine. No. But he he is a, he, he he sort of has a feeling, doesn't he, that his quest is somehow tainted. Mm. But he never quite faces up to why it is. And he's always slightly uncomfortable with his own actions, and yet 
he has this real single-minded devotion to them. So that's yeah. that's the sense in which it's like a detective story because most of the book is him tracking down the clues yeah. that, that Lucy stuff, is is George's wife and that, yeah. you know, she's not yeah. just this woman who's appeared out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, it is it is this kind of brilliant working out of, yeah. of, of all the pieces of the puzzle. Don't you love it when he is at the hat box he finds? Yeah. And he has to steam the labels Label, off yeah. and he finds the layers of her name. Yeah. It's just so good. But, but he's but he's almost uncomfortable, I think, with what he's doing. Mm, mm, and then he mm. you're right, he doesn't examine his motives. He does, but never quite acknowledges them. There's so much that's unacknowledged about George oh, uh, sorry, Robert. Robert. Yeah. His his attachment to George, yeah. his his real reasons, his real motivations for going by after yeah. Lucy. Yeah. There's so much that he doesn't face up to. Because he has to tell himself I'm doing this because I, I care for George. George is everything matters. This is a noble this is, this, thing. Yeah. I am a knight on a quest. This yeah. is what he has to tell himself. But I think you're right. He has this sort of nagging sense that what he actually is is a bit of a money grubber. Well, not money, you know, property and mm. status. He's he's doing this because he wants to protect the family. But in protecting the family, he's protecting himself. Yeah, and there's that. I mean, that's so big a trope in in gothic not only the idea of following the money and you know the emphasis on property but also that idea of the marriage that will destroy the nephew or the younger brother's hopes and yeah. that being a problematic yeah. thing yeah. that has to be prevented yeah. she's such an outsider she's a gov she's yeah. initially a governess at least yeah. in this kind of iteration yeah. of her identity yeah. um she's a, the outsider who has made the marriage through contrivance or through you know her beauty or whatever um and therefore she's a threat she's in, she shouldn't be there she's not really a part of the family and we need to pluck out the threat well, well that and and what you're saying too there, there are there are clear class implications yeah. aren't there because she's the outsider she comes from the kind of bohemian edges she's she's middle class she's not working class but she's dodgy middle class yeah and so, yes, it, the Robert Audleys of the world must keep the underclass, the interlopers, out. And you can see that in the way he characterises her as being, like, too lush and kind of too, um, I don't know, not not the button-down kind of middle-class mm. Victorian mm. matron, but she's mm. she's too sexy, she's yeah. too yeah. Um, showy, yeah. she's interested yeah. in, you know, like, silks and yeah. all of this stuff that a good Victorian matron wouldn't be. And there's a wonderful point where he actually <coughs> is it is it Alicia or is it Robert himself when he's questioning him because uh, he when he first meets her there is an indication that he's sexually attracted yes, to her yes, it's very subterranean subtextual mm. but it is there and and does he does he who I forget where this phrase comes from but it would be just like no I think it's Alicia it would be mm. just like Robert Audley to fall in love with his aunt mm. <laughs> Yeah, and and so there is that aspect of it. Yeah, in so in but he's some but she's younger than him. Yeah, he, he wants her, but then he also wants George. It's all very psychosexual, uh, just it, like it, all the gothic it, is. It is. Yeah. It, it's very murky, and, mm. and the murky sexuality is Robert Audley, not anyone else. Everybody, everybody else is quite understandable, just fine and above yeah. board. You know, George Torboys is this nice big buffy dragoon. You know, yeah. he, he loves his. He lo he does love his wife. You know, he, he wants to do. That. I've had students say, "Oh, you know, go easy on him. <laughs> he just wanted to go and make some money." And I say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Yeah, <laughs> but he, he, there's nothing um, sexually there's, there's nothing perverse about, him, about no, no. George. There's nothing really perverse about Lucy. She's a pragmatist. I like mm. your word. But Robert Audley, there's something deeply perverse and strange and, and... Beautifully captured by the fact that he marries George's sister. George's sister. And we get all that hideous tripe about as soon as he meets Clara and, and that vile father uh, who's keeping her, his daughter so hideously sort of entrapped, like the ogre, you know, keeping yeah. his daughter and not understanding her value. Um, she races out to Robert Audley when the father has said, I don't care about George. I'll never speak to him again. Don't, don't look for him. And Robert Audley says, right, that's it. I'll never, I won't do anymore. But then Clara, or Clara, runs out and catches him in his carriage and says, you've got to help 
you, I know something has happened to George. I know you're right about this. And it becomes this big quest, sentimentalised mm. quest mm. narrative for Robert. And that is such a convenient mask Mm. for all the really dodgy things that Robert really wants, mm, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he, he positions himself in this way that the, the novel doesn't really support because it doesn't yeah. – He's it's so clear that he's willfully obscuring all of these things about himself mm. in order to present himself as this noble – you know, the friend that won't – the loyal friend, he's, he's going to find out what happened to his friend and there's nothing else going on here. Mm. It's just he wants to find mm. out what happens mm. to his friend. But the way that he, 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 um, he pursues her, the kind of – I don't know. There's something distasteful to me about oh, me too. about the way it. he yeah. pursues her and yeah. entraps her and encircles her and yeah. and kind of always lets her know how close he is, yeah. so that she feels increasingly yeah. kind of yeah. fragile and increasingly kind of yeah. cornered. And I, I mean, then he puts her in a damn mental institution. We've got to get on because we haven't actually told the people who haven't read this novel what Lady Audley's secret is. Mm. But Well, we know one of the secrets. But didn't you just love it? <laughs> this is terrible. I mean, this is what sensation fiction does to a person. But he corners her. She knows, as you say, he's... He, he, he's, she, he's, he's getting he's closer. Mm. So he goes and stays in the inn that Phoebe and, and Luke Marks are running. And they're able to do this because... Phoebe has seen um, Lady or uh, Lucy push George in the well. Luke Marks actually knows that George is still alive, but you, mm. it, it plotted really well. You don't find out this, but anyway. And so <laughs> Lucy Audley finds out that Robert Audley, who's hot on her trail, is going to stay at the inn. So she goes <laughs> and sets fire to the inn. I just. And the inn goes up in flames. Unfortunately, Robert has left the premises. Yeah. But you have to admire, she thinks big, doesn't she? She does think big. You, you want to kill to... someone, yeah. you set fire to the inn. Set fire to the inn. <laughs> well, look, she go large or go home, really. Um, it is, yeah, I mean, I'm I don't know. I'm sorry, I shouldn't so... be laughing. No, 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 no. no it is, it is. Terrible woman to do that. I remember the first time I read this, I was sitting on the beach, actually, and I was just like, oh, my God, I can't stop reading this. This is, oh, and I had this, like, reaction after every, because it's just the way it's, it's classy pop boiler. At the end of every chapter, there's this, like, <laughs> moment, and you go, oh, my God, that happened. Oh, my God, that happened. Oh, my God, that happened. I know. Um, so that was, that was quite a, it's yeah. quite a reading experience. Yeah. But, okay, so one of her, the, the, the secret is that she's mad. mad. Um, so she claims. So she claims. Mm. I don't know. How do you feel about oh, all this really madness? It, it's I, it's one of the least satisfying parts, parts. of the novel yeah. for me. So it brings in – there was a category of madness in the 19th century that really worried people, and it was called – oh, what was it called? Moral insanity. Yeah. And so there were there were mad people who were incarcerated because they were they had obvious symptoms of madness yeah. and 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 their ability to relate to the world had completely broken. Yeah, down they were suffering they were psychosis. In, and yes, all this. Yeah. exactly. They was and they were put in an insane asylum. Some of them were better than others. Some of them were well looked after. Some of them you can imagine, you know, what, mm. what happened. But anyway. But there was this other category of madness, which was called moral insanity, where the person was uh, perfectly able to function normally, uh, but actually had was completely amoral, but was willing to do anything to get what they wanted. I think our idea of the psychopathic mm. killer, the sociopath, all that kind of Charles Manson stuff down, mm. oh, no, well, he was obviously mad. But you know what I mean? That, yeah, the psychopath, the, 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 the charming, yeah, the charming uh, asshole. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the deeply dangerous serial killer, yeah. but who can who can perform ordinariness mm. uh, and, and uh, on the face of it look like a perfectly upright, law-abiding person. And that's the kind of insanity that Lady Audley claims at the end because she knows she can't... Because Luke actually dies of his wounds. Um, so she doesn't kill George, but she does kill Luke, who deserves to die because Luke... I'm oh, sorry. He's a domestic he's abuser. He's a totally abuser. Yeah. He's a really violent, terrible man. So, she, she, so she's going to face the courts for that death, even though... George has come back and we know that George is okay. 
And so in order to get out of actually being hanged, she she claims insanity. And the doctor at first says, don't be silly, you know, she's fine. And then the doctor agrees that she's insane. And, and it turns out that she has a mother in, in an insane asylum. And I find it all, I just, I just, Get it get a bit lost at the end of it because I think it really undermines the 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 real strength of of her character as being not insane but being utterly coldly calculating, and so you have to sort of negotiate that at the end of the novel if she's really mad and what 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 is what is society going to do about her? Yeah, she's never read as mad to me. No, I don't. I don't find that no, a convincing it, explanation, no, but I don't think no. she. My reading of it always has been that she knows she's not mad, but she just uses she's, it as a convenient get-out-of-jail-free card. It's another throw of the dice. That's yeah. my reading of it too. She, yeah. she knows that I can claim that my mother was mad, therefore I'm mad, and therefore you'll let me go, and you'll let me keep my lovely things, because she yeah. does love her possessions. And it's interesting, um, The uh, in the introduction to the Penguin Classics one, I think it is, um, it's pointed out, or it might have been in a journal article, I can't remember. What Robert Audley does is against the law mm. because he only gets one signature on the forms that are going to commit her to the asylum. And that you can't do that. You can't just have one doctor yeah. saying that this person has to be locked up. Otherwise, it'd be very that would be a very convenient way to get well, rid of troublesome very, family members. Very, and that's yeah. what that's the, that's the woman in white plot, yeah. the Wilkie Collins plot. So. Um, and, and people were really worried about it. And there is evidence. I haven't done a lot of research on this, but there is evidence that a lot of women were got out of the way mm. be, because their property was seized when they were declared insane. And so there actually is a kind of undercurrent of really unsettling truth about this, that women could be committed, lose all their property, and it would go to their unscrupulous relatives. Or even just a, a way to get rid of them, like, well, you know, Shades of Jane Eyre here. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and Braddon's partner, John, the publisher, John Maxwell, his wife was actually in an insane, insane asylum, and Braddon uh, couldn't marry him until quite late. But in... she had quite a few illegitimate children, didn't she? She did. I think yeah. she had five children by him and he had seven children from, from oh, the, so the first children. marriage. <laughs> oh and God. she brought all the children up. You know, yeah. it was, apparently they were fine. And I don't know the details of what was actually wrong with the first one. Thackeray's wife was mm. um, in an insane asylum. I think Dickens's wife had a mental breakdown. Yeah. There's this whole area of women being put away. So you get rid of unruly women. Yes, I think so. And we understand, you know, postnatal depression and things that they didn't then. Yeah. And I think a lot of women got caught up in that. But anyway, the law was that you couldn't just on the say so of one doctor have them put away. And that's what Robert Audley does. So what he actually does is commit a, a crime. But Braddon didn't know that. Mm. So uh, as far as Braddon is concerned, what Robert Audley does in having Lucy locked up is perfectly legal and I think I don't know about you but I think there's some of the most powerful scenes in the in the novel mm. when he takes her uh to France the, mm. the asylum is in France the, the maison de santé mm. the, the house of health or wholeness and she gets there and and she looks up at the building and she sees a lighted window and she sees the shadow of this woman with unruly hair and agitated gestures walk across she sees a shadow go across the blind and she realizes where she is mm. and she realizes what he's finally what he's done to her yeah i know and that is he's had the complete victory yeah and she's and it's so moving because she's smuggled some of her little possessions in, in her yeah and and when she gets into the insane asylum she looks around at the beautiful mirrors and they're all they're not glass they're tin they're polished yeah. tin and everything is a fake of the luxury that she's, she's come had. from yeah so robert audley has the complete victory over her and it's so discomforting because you think she's so yeah okay she's she's done a lot of wrong things but mm. she's so clever yeah and she's so I don't know. I find her very appealing because she's yeah. she is so pragmatic. Yeah. She is so clever. She yeah. is so quick thinking. Mm. Um, 
it's just this horrible vision of this woman confined. Yeah. But again, yeah. I'm thinking of Jane Eyre here as well. Yeah. And that, you know, idea of, you know, when women become troublesome, we lock them, them lock them up in, them in the, the attic. in the attic or, yeah. or take yeah. them to France get to a, to a yeah. mental institution, yeah. get rid of them. And then all the troubles go away. And the more they insist that they're, they're sane, the more you mm. can argue that they're mad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a really it's good. It's stuff, a it's it? a really good way of kind of getting rid of the troublesome mm. woman. Mm. What do you think? I mean, how do you prove you're sane if you've yeah. got a whole lot of people ranged against you? I mean, what, 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 where do you go? How how do you, how do you withstand that? So it's a really scary idea. And of course, she dies in the Maison yeah. de Santé. She doesn't survive. And so I, that just turns me off, Robert Audley, so spectacularly. I, mm. I actually come to the end of the novel and I really loathe mm. his character. And um, I loathe that vision of them living in her house. Yes, his little fairy cottage. With Yeah, with yeah. knowing what they've yeah. done to her. Yeah, almost mm. over her dead body, isn't mm. it? Mm. We have to get her out of the way. Yeah. Um, in order to, yeah. and of course, he yeah. can't live in that house if she's there. Yeah. So he's yeah. taken over her property by turfing her out and, yeah. and killing her. Really, yeah. Yeah. it's so it's, it's so discomforting. Game set and match to Robert Audley. <laughs> yeah, although although I still think she's pretending. She's that's another, as you say, another roll of the dice is to say that she's insane. But I yeah. don't think she quite banks on no. the no. on how. Yes, it gets her out of being hanged, which is you know yeah. good, yeah. but um. Yeah. It's it's also not a great option either. No, 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 no. So. But I think that again calls our attention to to how few options there are. You yeah. know, either. Yeah. So you know, she's abandoned with no husband, with a child, no money. So she, yeah. you know, goes and works as a governess. She marries, changes her identity, all that yes. sort of stuff. And then once she's done that, she can't do that again. No. So there's no other way to go. And, and and it's interesting that phrase you just used changes her identity. That's another thing that's worrying about her. She morphs, isn't it? Mm. She goes from the beautiful young daughter who's attractive to all the, the soldiers, the red coats around, mm. and then the, the adoring young wife in a briefly happy marriage with George and the, and the mother. And she she morphs. She changes. She's never, and all the changes in name reflect that. She so you can't and that she's abandoned her, her son. Oh yes, yes. She we haven't talked give a about damn that. About well, he's an encumbrance, really. Yeah, he is. She doesn't yeah. give a damn. She's not maternal at all. But you can never reduce her to one identity. Yeah. Which the Victorians love doing. The angel in the house, woman, lovely woman. You know, yeah. the perfect sort of. It's just this ideal, you know, and we can reduce all women. <laughs> To that ideal, well, and she's so not that ideal. She's not. She, yeah. does, she doesn't change. She, I like your word. She's a pragmatist. If that doesn't fit, well, she does something else. Yeah. Whereas, um, I'm also thinking too of that. Um, you had a student a few years ago who was doing some work on um, an, an Emirates student who was doing some work on melancholy. Oh yes. um, In the Victorian yes. novel, and how, yes. Um, yes. and how reasonable being melancholic actually was as a response to the horrible so social true. world that they lived That's in. so true. And I'm just reminded of like how, yeah, okay, she's changed her identity and done all these dodgy things, but such a reasonable response. Yes. Considering the crappy situation she's in. That's you know? exactly it. And that, mm -hmm. that's the vice that the novel gets us in, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, you, you really, you just understand, even though she does, it's uncompromising, she does terrible things. I think we can see why. And I, the novel was very popular. I, I, I just, uh, mm. uh, you know, bishops and things were ranting and raving and frothing at the mouth that this was just not good enough. But the ordinary readers loved it. And, I and of think, course you do, you would. Yeah, There's, you know, yeah. missing husbands oh, and, yeah. you know, putting together yeah. the the identities and, yeah. you know, wives well, who well, murder potentially well, and more can you ask madness, yeah. you know. So I think there was a, I think she sort of appealed to, to a lot of, just what you're saying, what what the hell is a woman supposed to be doing? Mm. You know, it, 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 it's an impossible situation. You can't play by the rules because the rules destroy you. Mm. So therefore, <laughs> you, 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 can, you use what you, you got. You, you do use mm. what you've got. And I, I'm thinking that a lot of readers would just have loved that. George Eliot used to get very cranky because Braddon had such great sales. Well, and, and George Eliot's wonderful. I mean, I adore, I worship at the George Eliot shrine, as you know. But I mean, her she she has much more serious kind of um, 
not ponderous, but much more serious investigation. Oh, I think she can be ponderous she can. sometimes. She can. I know Lee. that she can. Okay, <laughs> Braddon never is. Brad never is. Braddon's no. narrative voice. It's mm. this light, wonderful voice. And she's actually very funny, too. She yeah, she's funny. She's very funny thing. And she has such a sense of timing. Yeah, 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 she does. Mm. So I think it's all, all it, it's a very un, it's a, it, at the same time, isn't it? It's very Victorian, but very un Victorian. Yeah. And it's, it just keeps you going. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, I think people yeah. have a sense of fear of, about the Victorian novel and they think it's long, it's detailed, yeah. it's ponderous, um, to use that word. Three volume. Three volume, yeah. you know, doorstops yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But this just romps along. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. You can sit down and breeze through it in a few days. Because yeah. it, it just, it does, it, it's it it's exciting. It hooks It propels you. you. Yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah. it's a pop boiler. Yeah. It's not as long as The Woman in White. The Woman in White is much longer. Moonstone is a bit shorter. It's very reasonable in length. Of course it is. I mean, you're talking to the converted here. Yes, I know. We I mean, look, people who worry about long novels, we, we, they just, you know, we, we can't worry. We, we just, no. we can't Long take. novels are, are great. Yeah, of course. I mean, yes. we were put on earth to, yes. to read long novels. That's right. <laughs> um, we have completely run out of time, but Probably, I think that yes. um, all of our listeners should read Lady Audley's Secret. Please do. You'll love it. And when you've read Lady Audley's Secret, would you please read Aurora Floyd, but then one of my favourite novels, The Trail of the Serpent. How could you not want to read How a story called The Trail, Trail of the Serpent? The Trail of the Serpent. It is wonderful. It's a detective novel. I haven't read The Trail of the oh, Serpent. Oh, you've got to. It's brilliant. It, okay. It's gorgeous. And it, there's a lovely edition of it. I forget which the publisher is. And it, it, it's, it's a detective story. So there's a lot of stuff about the development of detective fiction. Mm -hmm. the, detec the detective is deaf. Uh, sorry, oh. not deaf. Dumb. He can't speak. Oh, wow. So he has to sign. Oh, so oh, that's it's, fantastic. It's just, he's, a, he's a wonderful character. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, it's a stunning. Yes, so people read Lady Audley's and then, and then, and then, um, Aurora, uh, well, maybe The Trail of the Serpent and okay. then Aurora Floyd. Okay. Yeah. Right? So we have a reading list from Dr. O'Brien. We have Dr. a reading list and we expect people to tick these boxes. Yeah, and write little <laughs> summaries yes, and what I learned from this book. <laughs> <laughs> not that we're pushy no not at all <laughs> thank you lee for coming and talking to me oh, about a a, such pleasure. a fantastic novel as always lovely lovely this is lovely i mean this is pure joy, this is pure fun just to be able yes. to talk about what we love reading that pays for this yeah, yeah shh. i know it's amazing <laughs> um so thank you once again to lee and thank you to our listeners for putting up with our um enthusiasms <laughs> oh, um, again and again um, so if you could please if you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes if you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and that would be really really hugely appreciated it does help other listeners find our, our very enthusiastic discussions um, and if you've got any suggestions for future episodes um, or any feedback that you wanted to um, shoot our way you can go to fromthelighthouse.org so thank you once again Lee thank you Stephanie lovely as always thank you too and we'll see you again in two weeks bye <laughs>